Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. How's everybody doing this morning? Blessed, yeah, wow. Well, look at that day out there, huh? Gosh, chilly this morning, that's for sure. But, um, man, what a day. Well, gang, if you are just joining us, and uh, welcome to those of you online. We, uh, this month, are diving into the book of Philippians, and we're sinking into this issue of joy, and uh, really trying to, to wrestle with this idea of joy, a fruit of the Spirit that uh, comes by uh, the Holy Spirit moving in us. It's not something any human being can manufacture. You cannot make yourself joyful. Impossible. You can make yourself happy, but it's impossible for you to nurture and to bring about joy without the Spirit of God moving inside you and bringing about that experience, that fruit of the Spirit, which is, in other words, it's evidence that the Spirit of God, God Himself, right, is moving right inside us. And um, we uh, last week looked at uh, the joy of community. In other words, how it is in the midst of community. Chapter 1 of Philippians looked at some aspects of that in the sense of what, what is this, this uh, nurture? In other words, community, and this morning we're going to look at a little bit of, again, that's the church. It's in the gathered body of Christ. That this should be a place where we nurture the fruit of the Spirit. This should be the place that models for the world the fruit of the Spirit, love, joys, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which we can find in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, it should be here that those things go off, right? But um, we need to get a little deeper into this because I think we need to be honest with our souls, and this is what we're doing in this series is, uh, boy, we've got to get below the surface because the reality is we have a joy problem today. The church in America has a joy problem, and I think if we're all honest, we have a joy problem of really laying hold of what, what is that? H- have I experienced that? And <laughs> We've had a rough year, right? And, and again, this is why Paul in the book of Philippians re- repeatedly says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always, even in 2020, rejoice in the Lord because of what he, who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And um, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians again, and we're going to look at chapter 2, and um, we're going to look at this idea this morning <clears throat> of the joy of unity. And um, just going to explore this chapter. I'm going to just dive in here this morning for us and read. Just have you either listen to the Word of God or follow along with me. But I got three questions for us this morning, and they're kind of in a progressive order of depth for us to really flesh out this idea of joy and um, how do we lay hold of it and uh, specifically the joy of unity. In other words, without unity, is joy possible? There's, just like we said last week, is joy possible with outside of community? Well, these things we see all work together. And uh, even if you get, step back and you look at the very nature of who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He lives in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect community, and we're created in the image of God, so we're created as relational beings desiring, needing community, needing relational connection. And you can't have healthy community without what? Without unity. And just take this into any area of life. Take it into a marriage. Can a marriage be joyful if, it's, if there's not unity? 
No, I don't think so. And let's look at the church body. Can the church body be giving off the fruit of the Spirit and specifically here the fruit of joy if it's not united? If there isn't unity in the body of Christ, can there be this blossoming of, of joy? And this is exactly where, where Paul is going after the church in Philippi. He's encouraging them and he's drilling in on the radical importance of unity at a cost. And then he's taking us to really wrestle with uh, the source of that and the source of our joy because what Paul wants is we're going to see he wants joy and that's what Jesus wants right we looked at John 15 11, that great promise that Jesus says that he wants his joy to be in us and he wants that joy to overflow outside of us individually and outside of us as a church into the community for that joy to overflow. And so Paul is drilling in here and we have some of the most in-depth, beautiful, possibly a creed or a prayer that the early church, one of the earliest that the church prayed to ignite unity, humility, to lift up who Jesus is and to spark unity and joy within uh, the body of Christ. And so if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to dive in here and then we're going to break this down um, this morning. But this is um, Philippians chapter 2 and uh, I don't have it on the screen so you can just listen if you don't have it, uh, have it with you this morning. Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, the essence, the very essence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We'll stop there this morning.
Man, there's some stuff there, huh? We're just going to scratch the surface this morning as we dive into this uh, beautiful um, uh, part of Scripture. Some of the most exalting Scripture we have of who Christ is and what He's done for us. The very essence of the gospel, very essence of Christianity, and the very source of where joy and all these blessings right come to us. And so I got three questions for us this morning. I want us to dive in and, uh, and just to kind of flesh out among us as, as a church, and especially as we move into a new year, as we think about church, we think about our community, we think about Crossroads, and, um, and our, our relation, that's those of us watching online as well. First question is this, does church bring us joy? Does church bring us joy? Now that opens a can of worms, doesn't it? Opens a big can of worms in the sense of, uh, well, we, first of all, we have to understand what church is, right? But I think if we all were honest, we, that question we would take and, and we would uh, probably have flashes of, of experiences, some hurts, maybe some, some trauma in that, um, maybe even abuse, whatever it is, or just misunderstandings or tough times, and, and then hopefully some wonderful Thoughts of, of church and fellowship and friendship being born and, and relationships and children and families coming together and mission together to see God do great things. Hopefully what would come into that is just is some really tough times and, and uh, boy, uh, mourning together, grie- grieving together, and hopefully other things would be joyful, miracles, right? Testimony of seeing what God has done among his people. But do you get joy? Does the church bring you joy? And so let's look at a couple things here in chapter 2. As Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi. And he says some powerful things. He says, so if there is any, and he lists out several things here. In other words, he's listing out the things that should define what church is. Should define the experience of when God's people gather together in a larger group or in uh, smaller groups, in, in homes and everything. When the, when the body of believers gathers, these are the things, the very essence of what church should be. And you're going to see it's Trinitarian. There should be a, an understanding, a deep unity when we gather together who God is. Who it is that draws us together? Why, am I, why are we coming together? What is the kindred spirit? Why are we here? And he, he begins by saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, is there... If there isn't encouragement, if Christ isn't lifted high, if he isn't the center and source of joy and everything else, all right, it's not church. It's not Christian church. And there should be encouragement. In other words, we have to ask ourselves and evaluate, wow, was church good today? Well, we need to say, was there some encouragement in Christ? There was the promises of his word and who he is. And Paul's just saying, if there is any of these, he's building steam towards um, his main point with them. Any comfort from love, the love of the Father. When God's people gather together, it should be this understanding of our, our heavenly Father and, and his love that he has for his children in sending out his son, right, to call to himself, right, a, a family. Is there the love of the Father? And then this wonderful language says, any participation in the Spirit, that word is koinonia, any fellowship in the Spirit, Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? In other words, is there a reality of the manifest presence presence of the Spirit of God among us? 
Is there a sense that we're participating with the Spirit, with one another? In other words, us using our gifts to love each other, serve each other when we gather together. Is there a participation, right? Not just coming, sitting and, and observing and listening, but is there participation? Is there interaction, right, among the body of believers and then he ends with these two words, sympathy and affection. Uh, these words also can mean a deep sense of compassion. In other words, is there interaction? Now, because of this vertical move of God here, we're lifting up praise to him and, and God promising his presence among us and our eyes focus on Jesus. Is there, is there, right, a, a participation now with one another? But he says, now complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord of one mind. What is Paul saying? He, he, he's saying without unity, without humility and unity among the body, you know, all these other things and the ability for God to spark joy and light and all these things and for the body, the church to be what it needs to be, the family of God, the light of the world, shining bright for others to see and uh, arms and doors open wide for people to come experience the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, right? And the participation of the Holy Spirit is those things cannot take off without the thing that binds our hearts unless there is this moving understanding that we're working towards unity in the body. And that unity cannot happen without something happening in each side, deep inside each one of our souls, which is humility. And is this radical transformation of getting the mind of Christ, and, and Paul in many of his letters, right, speaks about the mind of Christ, which is ours for the taking. We're to think like him. We're to be transformed into his likeness and to take on the thinking of God. And as we'll see later in this, right, is that we're to work out that salvation, right, through discipleship, learning what it is to be transformed, right, because it's God who is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, right, to transform us into his likeness, and not just individually, but right, also, right, as a, as, a whole, as a whole church. So, and he goes on and says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves, Church should be the most unified place on the planet. Church should be the place where joy, there's a, a joy explosion every time it gathers. Church should be the most unified. It should be modeling the body of Christ as we interact with each other, as we come together, should model for the rest of the world what true unity is. And if we can't do that, you know what? We can't model joy. We can't, as we're going to see later, we can't be the light of the world. We can't be shining bright in a twisted, as Paul says, what? Dark world. What do you think about that? Unity. And, and how do we do, how, how is unity even possible? It's not possible unless there's a transformation, unless there is each of us taking on our own responsibility, right? To what? to get the mind of Christ for each other. And then this starts with this deep sense of humility and, and a, an idea of, wow, thinking, thinking of others. I mean, this is some strong stuff. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you think... Again, whether we're 
meeting at home in a smaller group or whether we're gathered in a larger group, do you think the context of that fellowship would change if each of us had the mindset and we came in and we had the mindset of, Lord, let me, let me put other, let me, show me how to serve my brothers and sisters. Lord, show me, let me, let me honor the different gifting here. Let me honor the service and the, 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 the uh, interests of others here. Do you think things would change? Do you think there would be something that would happen? And folks, I'm telling you, the battle here is huge because we are Westerners and we've been, all day long, we are hit with, with us, us, me, me, what we need to do, what I need to do. And um, this idea, nothing naturally in the world forces us to really set our mind upon honoring others, considering others. It's something you have to right, purposefully do, right? And again, remember, there's, there's, a, there's also a selfish way of doing this, right? In other words, this, but this is from the heart of Christ, a genuineness. And Paul is calling the church to unity. And he's, he's saying in the, in the church is the only way this is going to work. And for each person's gifting and, and ministry to broaden, right, is for us to look out for the interests of others, for us to honor each other's uniqueness, to honor each other's unique ministry philosophy, to honor each other's ideas of what needs to be done is to honor each other's areas of ministry, not to be in competition, but to have grace and to bless those things, rather than as later on we see grumbling and disputing, right? The, the, when, when, when unity dies, what happens, what fills the void is grumbling and disputing. In other words, we're looking and competing with others, or we're complaining about this is not being done, or that was done, Right? Rather than, again, having the heart, the humility of Christ. And so, um, let's, I want to move on to the next question. But uh, there's a lot we could say here in this sense of understanding what church is and understanding the joy of unity. That if there isn't unity, there's not going to be a sparking of joy. And, in, in, and as well as all the other fruits of the Spirit, right? And this is what Paul's laying out for the church. And this joy, right, it, it comes from setting our eyes on Christ and keeping him at the center. But folks, there's none of us that this is just not, if we really take some time to drill into this and really ask ourselves, boy, am I look, how am I doing when it comes to being a unifying element in my church? a unifying element in my workplace, a unifying element in my home. And to model these things because of, of, uh, of Christ's promise, because of who Christ is, what he's, he's done for us, right? So, does church give us joy? We can spend a lot of time, and, and, and it happens, there's a lot of grumbling and disputing against the church, blaming the church. And yes, the church has, um, uh, has responsibility, right? But who is the church? Right? The church is us. Church is a body. It's a family, right? But let's drill a little bit deeper on this, this question on joy and what brings us joy. And let's go to this. Does Jesus bring us joy? Now, I... I know immediately we want to say, yeah, he brings me joy. But does he? And how does Jesus bring you joy? 
And are you clear on the source of joy? And Paul, this is where he moves this conversation because he, he's challenging the body. You, you must maintain it. In the book of Ephesians chapter four, he says, do everything to maintain. Church, please, what? Do all that you do, all that you speak, all of your actions, what you say about others, how you treat others and everything else, do all that you do. Please do eager to maintain what? The bond of peace, right? The unity of the spirit at all costs. Because without that unity among the body, right, man, the fruit of the Spirit gets killed, it gets quenched, it gets robbed, right? And so then he, he, he calls them to this humility. The only way that's going to happen, the only way we truly can look out to the interests of others, right, and, 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 and humble ourselves. In other words, here's the reality, right? Being humble, right, is we know that that's a, a good a virtue, well, I, I say we know that. Do you know that most of the world, and, and Paul's writing this in the Roman and Greek world, that humility was not seen as a positive thing. And what has made America, where have we gotten American culture from? The Roman and Greek world, in our thinking and philosophy. Do you know that they despise humility? Right? That, that character trait was looked at weak and, and, and would not get you where you need to go. Humility is not something, you can't just sit and go, you know, I'm going to be humble. Same way you can't sit around and go, you know, I'm going to be joyful today. Good luck with that. I'm going to be humble. You can try that for a while, but what Paul is saying is that this is, this is not possible within our fallen fleshly lives is that we are naturally bent towards self-preservation and to be selfish and to be self ambitious selfishly in our lives. And uh, humility is a work of God. Otherwise, it's false humility, right? It's a work of Jesus. And, and where does this come from? And folks, this is such a radical, this is where the gospel and who God is that makes the uniqueness of Jesus and the uniqueness of the gospel uh, uh, unique beyond other philosophies, every other religion, every other path in the world is because only Jesus takes this path. And only Jesus calls his people to take this same path of, of what Jesus has done here, of leaving heaven and coming Right to, to earth, leaving his, setting aside his exalted position as God. To come down to a lowly takes on a servant. Scripture says he came to not be served, but to be served. The, the most humble act, and not only that, but it says that he submitted to obedience of the Father and went to the cross. We'll look at that in a minute. The most humbling of all deaths. And that was the purpose of crucifixion. It was the most humbling, torturous death that the Romans could come up with. And so Paul puts the attention of the church on the very source of joy. And listen to these words. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. For all of this, it has been given, it is yours for the taking, but it must be taken by faith. It must be pursued, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, the very essence of God is what that word means, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, mystery, books that could fill this church and more on what all that means, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even in death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Wow. Does Jesus bring you joy? And the only way Jesus can bring you joy is if you know him. If you know him for who he is. As the Lord and the Savior of your life. Have you encountered him as Savior in your life? Have you been in touch with, with, with what he's done? His, this move of, of God, of, of what he's done for us. This um, section I just read is one of the, the oldest. They think it could be a creed, it could be a hymn. It was most likely sung in the early church. And the purpose of it was in the midst of worship to set the church's eyes on our Savior and so that we could imitate him. In other words, it wasn't just sung as some theology without practice. It was sung and exalted so that the church would know how to walk in the very humility that Paul's talking about. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to be like him. We're called to humble ourselves, deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him, right? Um, crucifixion was a, uh, one of the most horrendous things ever invented by darkness and evil and man, right? And, and for the Philippians to hear this, and any church to hear this, especially early on, we, we've lost because we're removed from it and we just kind of put a filter, a religious filter. We've kind of taken out the raw and the real and the, the harshness of the whole thing. Um, but, but for people to hear this and to understand this back in the day is, um, you see, crucifixion was something that was despised by most people. If you're a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified, actually, because it was that terrible. It was set aside for those who were the, the worst and the ones who needed to be shamed the worst. Um, the Jews believed that anybody crucified was cursed by God. But Jesus came and did that for you. Became a curse so that we what? Yes. So we could have his righteousness and his life and eternal life and that we wouldn't be cursed. That we wouldn't have to stand responsible for all of our, our sin, our shame, and our guilt. I ask you this morning, is the cross dear to you? How much do you meditate upon what your Savior has done for you? Do you understand the magnitude of the humility that Jesus took on willfully for you to leave his place of exaltation and to come and to humble himself and to live his entire life as a servant going to the cross so that we, right, could be brought into this family. We could be brought into his joy and brought into this, this new life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul says that the cross of Christ is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But it is to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. Sufficient for all things in your life to bring about joy and transformation of anything you're dealing with. It's the power of God. But it's foolishness to those who are perishing. What what does that mean? Perishing means living life without God. Headed for a destiny separated from God. The cross is foolishness. Because it's despised. It it is this reverse idea that no, I can't be exalted. I can't be affirmed. I can't experience the love. I can't be satisfied with that. I need to run from that. And isn't the way of life is, is this reverse? We have to lose life to gain life. We have to what? Step down. We have to grow down before we grow up. Right? The, the, it's the way of the cross which brings transformation. It's, it's the following Jesus into humility, right? Setting aside our agenda and our selfishness and maybe even our dreams so that God, right, will raise it up. What does 1 Peter 5 say? It says that God is opposed to the proud. Wow. He's opposed to those who think that they can figure out life on their own. Right? But he gives grace to the, to the humble. To those who are blessed are the poor in spirit, they show what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that realize, Lord, I'm, I have a deficit of spirit. I, those who humble themselves before God and are desperate need for God to move in their lives and bring what? The way, which is Jesus. Um, man. It's amazing. The more I look at this, it's, it's such a true thing is that we, we have, it's the power of the law in life, going all the back to the garden that, that thinks that I can exalt myself. I need to exalt myself. I need to lift myself up. When it's just the opposite needs to happen. Right? And what the world says, if you want joy, if you're not happy, what it, it's, it's pounding home. You're great. You're this. You're that. It's trying to exalt you. Right? And then some Eastern philosophy says, hey, the, the pathway to fullness is just get rid of yourself altogether. Which we know that's false, obviously. No, the pathway of joy is the pathway to follow Jesus into humility and to learn that. And folks, I, I, I just say the only way you can learn this is, is both and here. These, these verses are to us individually as followers of God and us corporately. And this is fleshed out as we're gonna see working your salvation out in fear and trembling. That is a process that has to happen in discipleship. That's a process that has to happen in a small group where we are pressing one another on, pushing one another on, encouraging one another on um, in this journey with God, right, towards the joy. Folks, does Jesus bring you joy? Probably no more important question that we could really ask him flesh out. And I would say this, if you really dig deep on that, if, if there's a sense of, man, I just don't know, I just don't know, but so let me go one step deeper with this this morning, because here's the reality, is that we can blame, if I'm not feeling joyful, if things aren't going well with me, because we live in a blame culture, I'm going to blame anybody, all my circumstances in my life, I'm going to just, and the world says it's okay, just blame, 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 it's somebody else's problem, and boy, the church is right there, blame the church, blame the church. 
But you see, here's the other thing. You go deeper on that is because if things aren't going well with me, I'm not feeling joyful and, and God hasn't pulled through. God has not answered my prayer. God has not done what he told me. He promised me he would do. And so we're gonna blame God. I'm gonna blame Jesus. And we move into place. Suddenly these thoughts go through our head and we haven't really fleshed out. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And so here's the, the, the last deeper question for us this morning. Does obedience to Jesus bring us joy? This is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? This is where the rubber meets the road. Does obedience to Jesus, following him, in other words, out of this sense of humility, I'm gonna lay my desires, I'm gonna lay down what I wanna do and line it up with the word of God. Because see, here's the deal. In, in, in American church today is that we complain, we blame, and, and we have pity parties, and we wonder where's the joy among God's people. But at the same time, is there obedience to the word of God? And so I just want to be as blunt as I can for all of us just so we have a real clear idea is we cannot have the fruit of the spirit of joy or any of the rest of them if we're not in pursuit of obeying God and lining up our lives, mine, my body, everything with the word of God and honoring him. I, I can't expect the, the joy of eternal life. And it should become joyful at first on certain things, Man, it, it's hard, right? It's, it's what he calls us to is tough, purity, holiness, obedience, going against the grain, keeping my mind pure, keeping my body pure before him. That is tough stuff. It goes against my fleshly desires. Even being humble, Setting out, you know, putting others' interests above mine. That's hard stuff at the core of my very being, but I've got to pursue it and realize I can't do it. Lord, you've got to help me. It's a move of the Spirit of God, right? Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Amen. <sighs> Anybody grumbled the last uh, six months or so? <laughs> I mean, you know, whoo, you know, wow, do nothing. I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Do all things without grumbling? Surely there's some room to grumble a little bit, you know? I mean, <laughs> but uh, wow, you know, it's... Uh, it's amazing, isn't it, how easy it is to grumble? I mean, just on the spot, you know? Or dispute with others. And in, in the void of unity, disputing, controversy, friction. And look what's happening just as society, where we're going. Folks, even more important for the church to shine now when it comes to unity. Our nation has zero unity. The church needs to be that lighthouse of unity and joy among God's people who gather together. This is exactly what Paul's getting at here. And he says, no grumbling, no disputing, do all things, right? As you work out your salvation. Now, whew, that's some big language, isn't it? What does that mean? It means what I just, it means this right here. In other words, how are we going to be obedient to what Christ has called us to? I got to work that out. 
I can't just sit back and say, well, I know Jesus and I'm show up at church and do a little you know, Bible study and this kind of thing. No, it takes some deep work with fear and trembling, the depth of my soul. God, is it working me? Let me just throw this out. If we all, each of us, had this verse on our mind before we stepped into something that we know is not ungodly, would that help us? Whoa, can I bring God into, the, into this? He's working this out in me. Can I bring him into this thing? Can I bring him into this? That would be a check on us, right? Um, boy, that we may be what? Blameless. This is what God desires for us. Blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a what? A crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of God. That's what believer, that's the course we should be on and encouraging each other towards. And it is not possible to have the joy of the Lord without the joy of obedience. And we saw back here, if we had time, we'd look at Jesus learned obedience as a man, as a person. He felt more uh, temptation and struggle than any of us will ever, ever experience. And so I ask you again, does obedience to Jesus, does it bring you joy? Right, just setting aside what you desire to do, what I desire to do, for Lord, I'm, I, I'm going to line my life up with this. Does repentance, the experience of repenting, change? Ah, oh, I blew it again, Lord. And forgive me, God. I'm going to set this aside and come and line my life up with your word. Folks, this is, this is the kernels of joy. And knowing, right, that God is at work in us, transforming us into his likeness, and folks, there's so much freedom in obedience to God. When we start moving our, ourselves right, to the word of God, is there's a freedom that takes hold. And that freedom is in the body when it's pressing towards unity. right? For what? For God's spirit to be among us. To what? Start sparking the spirits, the fruit of the spirit among us in, in our lives and in our community. Folks, we're living in a unique time where much of the church is, is, is on this waffle, on this kind of this, uh, the fence part of the church, and the temptation is, are we going to step over into progressive Christianity, which is not Christianity. It's embracing the things of the world that have been pounded and constantly pounded down, especially the last six months, down the culture's throat. Or is the church going to step over here into a renewal, a revival, a sense of setting our eyes on the holiness of Jesus and finding our joy in obeying Jesus rather than in obeying and pleasing our culture? And we're at, the, we're at a line right now, what's happening. Right, as a nation, as a culture, it's time for the church to stand up and be the church. And it cannot do that without unity, without a move of the Spirit of God. Again, restoring the presence of God and longing for the presence, the participation of the Spirit as we gather together. This is what, and a sparking of joy among God's people, the joy of the Lord, a joy for Jesus, and therefore a joy Right, for the fellowship of, of one another. And folks, just finally, is what Paul is trying to set here is, is to really answer the question, what is the source of your joy? What is the source of our joy? And can't we really say it's Jesus? You know, there are things that make us happy. So I would just say, if you go out on a powder day, I, I, I feel joy sometimes, especially a day like this, right? You feel joy, right? But the question is, what is bringing you joy? Where are you finding your joy in? Is it the powder day? 
Is it God's creation or is it God? And, and, and this is deep work in each of our lives. What are we seeking in our lives to, to pump us up? All the, and there, by the way, the Bible calls them idols. Anything that we, that silver object we go after that we think is going to bring us fulfillment and joy or happiness. And constantly what, what, what Paul is trying to get out of here is to really flesh out among us is, man, what's the source of your joy? And as the church comes together, we should be rejoying ourselves to the source of our joy, which is Jesus. Does that make sense, gang? So um, I hope you'll just take these, Derek, come on up. I hope you'll take these, uh, uh, these three questions, especially in this kind of holiday Christmas season, right, that's supposed to be defined by joy. Folks, uh, holiday nostalgia is not going to do it for you. Right? The only thing that's going to bring joy is if our hearts are truly set on the real source and the only source of joy, which is Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and really getting honest with myself. What's, what's bringing me joy? And to flesh out why is it my church experience isn't bringing me joy? I, I, I bet if I go deep enough in that, I'm gonna really go to the next question and find out, well, you know what? Jesus is not really bringing me joy. And if I get a little deeper on that, I'm gonna go and I'll really wrestle with, man, am I being obedient? Am I thrusting my life, trusting God at his word, that if I obey him and seek him, he will bring about the fruit of the spirit in my life. But that can't happen if I'm running my own way. Can't happen if I'm going and doing my own thing, right? And to really flesh out at the core, all those three questions really flesh out in my life. Is Jesus the source of my joy? Is he at the center? And do I dearly love and embrace and understand the magnitude of the cross? what Christ has done for me. So Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I pray it will set on our souls as seed that will birth great fruit, Lord. A great harvest of life, Lord. Father, let our church be one that, Lord, help us flesh out any disunity. Help us to learn how, how to put others' interests above ourselves. How to be humble, truly humble, Lord, as you are, Jesus. What does that look like, Lord? Father, we might shine brightly, Lord, for a, a culture, Lord, that you call twisted and crooked, that's leading people away from you, God, to false joys. Lord, let your church come alive. Holy Spirit, pray you'll move and spark conviction in our hearts, encouragement, love of the Father, Lord, let there be a participation of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.